0: toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, we live in a culture that breathes the air of performance. We, we learn at a really early age, and, and I think this is the United States, it's probably the whole world, uh, but maybe particularly Bucks County. We learn at an early age how to perform in a way that gets us rewarded or that helps us avoid punishment. So whether that is you know on the soccer field as a kid or in academics, in, in school, whether that's you know as we grow and we get into work, we, we know that you know by performing well sometimes we can get an advancement or we can get more money there's there's all of these things that depend on the way that that we perform it's the air that we breathe we we can't even it's kind of like the fish thing where it's like if you ask a fish what is water and they're like huh, I don't know you know they just live in the water they don't they don't know what it is we 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 kind of operate in such a way that we we don't know there's any other way to operate because we're so infused with this idea of of performance. And so it's it's understandable that when we come to faith and when we come to learning about Jesus, when we come to reading the Bible, it's natural that we would assume that that all works the same way, right? So religion works that way after all. So if you look at the major world religions, you look at at Judaism, they have the, the Torah, they have a law, And so in order to please God, you need to obey the law. Um, In order to not get punished, you need to obey the law. Um, Hinduism has dharma, and so we need to operate according to those dictates. Buddhism has karma. Buddhism doesn't believe that you're pleasing a god, doesn't believe in a god, but just believes this is the way the universe works, and so we need to operate according to karma. Even, even atheism, so of course atheism doesn't believe there is a God, but they, they do, it, atheism is essentially a religion because it is a set of beliefs that lead to a behavior, a way to, to live. And atheism would hold that I need to understand the laws of science, I need to understand the laws of society in order to perform according to those things so that life will, will work. And so then Christianity, comes along and is a huge surprise because when we, when we start understanding how, what, what Jesus taught and what the scriptures teach about him and what he accomplished, we, we come to realize that the true God, the, the one God who created all things, does not operate according to this performance mindset. And, it, and in fact, it seems that the harder we try to obey God's rules, actually it can be the case that the further we actually are from God. There is a path to God that exists that is entirely apart from our performance. And if you're here this morning and exhausted from trying to perform, whether at work, in your family, in, in your faith, then I have some really good news for you. Rest is available. If you would take a Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter seven, we will read about it this morning. If you're if you're new with us, or if you came this morning, you don't have a Bible with you. There should be a Bible near you on the seats and Romans 7 is on page 1045. It's gonna be really helpful if you can have that in front of you to follow along as we we talk together here this morning. Um, If you are new to us, we've called this series this year, Immersed in Grace. And we did that because the message of the book of Romans is all about God's incredible grace that just pours and washes over us and we can be immersed in it. We also called it that. Because, because I'm hoping that as we study through this, that you are immersing yourself in the study of Romans, not just coming on Sunday morning, but there's a lot of other resources, a lot of other opportunities for you to study at home and, and so we have a Romans Hub page on our website. If you go to our website, you can find the Romans page there. And it lists a bunch of other resources. It lists discussion questions from our small groups. It lists other books. If you wanna study deeper, it lists some recommended books there. And it, it also has on there, I don't, if, if you're new, maybe you have seen some people carrying a little study guide, little study journal around like this, and maybe you have said to yourself, wow, all the cool kids are carrying these. Where can I get one? Well, you can go to our hub page and there's a link that you can pick one up. It's actually a really cool thing here. It's, it's, it's very simple. It's got the text that we're reading through on one side of the page and then the other side is blank so that you can write down what God is teaching you as you study yourself, as you come here on Sunday morning, as you participate in your group. So you can go find the link there and pick up one of those. If you are not new... Maybe you have been here for months, maybe you've been here since the beginning of, of this study on Romans, and you're hearing this introduction and that we're talking about that you know, performance is not the path to pleasing God. Maybe you're thinking, we've already talked about this. I've heard this before. And if you're thinking that, you're right, because Paul has already talked about it, and it, it would seem like Paul thinks that it takes a lot for us to get this, because he keeps talking about it over and over again. So we're gonna talk about it again today so we can help start to wrap our heads around this. As we begin chapter seven, it's helpful to know that we are picking up on some breadcrumbs that Paul dropped in chapter six. I kinda like to think of it, as as Paul walks through this whole long argument in Romans, he kinda drops breadcrumbs sometimes, and he doesn't have time to really delve into that issue. He just kind of hints at it, and then he goes back to what he's talking about, but then he picks it up later. So Paul is picking up on a theme that he introduced in Romans 6, verse 14. So if you could flip back there, um, if you have to flip, but go to verse six fourteen, which says, "'Sin will have no dominion over you "'since you are not under law but under grace.'" And then verse 15 says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And of course, he says, by no means. So the question is, what does not being under the law mean? Because he doesn't explain it in chapter six. Now he's coming back to it in chapter seven to help us understand what what does this mean? What does this look like to not be under the law? So that leads us into chapter seven, verse one. Do you not know brothers, and we could translate that just as accurately, brothers and sisters. It it encompasses that in the Greek. Do you not know brothers and sisters? For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage accordingly she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress." All right, we're gonna come back to this marriage ana- um, analogy uh, in, in a few minutes, but verse four is really the core of, of what Paul is talking about here this morning. Verse four, it says, "'Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Core idea today is the law is not the path to pleasing God. There, there is a path to pleasing God. The law is not the path to pleasing God. This would have fallen on the ears of the the Jewish listeners like really hard. Like they would have been like, what are you talking about? How can this be? Because they have grown up with and they have have this whole culture of, we're, we're the ones that God blessed with the law. I mean, God taught us how to live. He gave us the law to obey. What do you mean we're dead to the law? How can that possibly be? And it also grates on the rest of us who have this performance mentality. Like, what do you mean we're dead to this? You mean we don't have to obey commands anymore? I mean, what is this talking about? Well, verse four tells us the why and the how of dying to the law. Why is it so important? That's what we're gonna talk about first. Okay, look at verse four again. Follow the logic with me, okay? I'm gonna highlight some phrases in here. I'm gonna leave some phrases out just for the sake of clarity, but I want you to follow the logic. Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you have died to the law so that you may belong to another in order that we may bear fruit for God. So the end result of dying to the law, the reason it's a big deal, is that we should bear fruit for God, that we should bear fruit in our lives. I, I, had this, I brought this up here earlier while the, the band was practicing, and they were like, suddenly I'm hungry when they see all of this. I mean, hopefully that makes you hungry for good things, like fruit, our lives are intended to bear fruit for God and to produce really good, wonderful, sweet things that other people can enjoy. So God, this is what God made us to do. We are to be like a fruit tree. Here's three things that we know about fruit trees. The first is that if a fruit tree is not producing fruit, there's something wrong with it, and it needs, it needs some attention because a fruit tree, God made to produce fruit. That's what it naturally does. So my dad, when I was growing up, had a little orchard in our backyard. He probably had 20, 25 trees. And so we had apple trees, peach trees, plum trees, cherry trees, all all these kinds of trees. And so he worked diligently to take care of these trees, but occasionally he would have a tree that just was not bearing any fruit, and so it needed extra attention. So he would prune the tree, he would spray the tree with chemicals, some of which now are banned, Probably helps explain some of the things about, about me. Um, he would fertilize the tree. He would give attention to this tree because there's something wrong with a fruit tree that is not producing fruit. The second thing we know about fruit trees is that trees produce fruit for the benefit of others, not itself. I mean, that seems kind of obvious, right? But I mean, if an apple tree, that would be weird. Like an apple tree produces an apple and somehow consumes it itself. That, that's weird. No, a, a tree produces fruit for the benefit of, of others. You and I produce fruit, not for our own benefit, not so that we gain, but for the benefit of the people around us. And then the, the third thing that we know about fruit trees is that there are different kinds. They're, they're, I mean, everything is not an apple, everything is not a pineapple, there are these different kinds of fruit. That means that the person sitting next to you is designed to produce a different kind of fruit than you are. That's a good thing. And sometimes people don't really appreciate that that's a good thing, because some people are so passionate about the fruit that they are designed to produce, that they think everybody should produce that same kind of fruit. And if if everybody is not producing that kind of fruit, what's wrong with you? Why are you not so, as excited about this as I am? You're not walking with the Lord. You know, it's like that's, no, God wired us each differently to have different passions because there are a lot of needs in the world. <laughs> there are a lot of different needs that get met. And so we bear different kinds of fruit. Celebrate, get closer and closer to God so that you understand the kind of fruit that he made you to, cel- to, to produce and then produce that fruit. So that's what verse four tells us is the end result. In order that we may bear fruit for God. What what does bearing fruit for God look like? That all kind of sounds good, but what does the analogy drill down to? Well, Ephesians two, written by same same guy, Paul, he kind of drills down into this. He says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's the fruitfulness. As we produce good works, as we do good things, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is just a remarkable verse, that each one of us has been designed individually, uniquely, specially to produce a certain kind of fruit, to produce certain kinds of good works. He designed that, he had that in mind beforehand. Now, please understand, always like to clarify this in Ephesians 2, that the good works are the result of your salvation. Your good works do not produce your salvation. So we see that if we just read the two verses right before that verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it's by grace we are saved through faith. It's by grace we are made right with God through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. If you've been here for for Romans, you know, Paul has already made a big point of that. There is no room for any human being to boast in our standing before God, because we can't achieve right standing with God on our own. God does that, but then, we are we are saved. We are justified. We are made new with God for the purpose of good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How about some real life illustrations of fruitfulness? Let me let me give you a couple of examples from our church family right here. Last Sunday afternoon, I had the opportunity to go and visit someone who used to be a regular tender some time ago at Grace Point, but is has advanced in age has some health issues she is right now in a rehab and so i had the opportunity i met her for the first time last sunday but what i learned in that whole process of getting connected to her is that we have a very faithful member of our care team who goes and visits this precious lady every week she goes in person visits this lady every week Brings her groceries, you know, just just loves on her. There is no possible way that I could do that with every person who is homebound or, or in the hospital or in rehab. And so our care team is serving and bearing fruit behind the scenes, and and they're doing things that God has wired them to do, they're extending the pastoral care and just the care of our church family in phenomenal ways. Maybe you have a heart to to provide that kind of care, to provide personal care to somebody, just to to love on them. You wanna be in behind the scenes, you would rather die than get up here on, on stage, but you would love to serve behind the scenes. Our care team, they would love to have you. Another example of fruitfulness that many of you participated in, last week we had our food drive. So last week we had a van parked out here and many of you brought a grocery sack or multiple sacks full of food. I heard the report that we had a record number of contributions of cereal this year, which is good because that's the number one item that they are always asking for. And so many of you were bearing fruit for God by saying, you know what, God has met my needs and beyond and I wanna share from from that, I wanna be able to bless somebody else whose needs are not all met. So that's a way of bearing fruit for God. And then a third example, and then we'll move on. It, this, this was a really fun email that I got a, a few weeks ago when I announced I was updating you on our financial situation here, and it it sparked a memory for for this person, and so they emailed me a couple of weeks ago. They said, uh, do you remember a few years ago when you did the tithe challenge? And quite honestly, I'd forgotten about it, but but what it was was uh, I had encouraged people who had never given on a regular basis, who had never given a percentage back from, what God is blessing them and in their income, I said, hey, if you've never done that before, just take, do an experiment. Take, I forget, it was three months or six months and just do that and see what happens. See, see what your relationship with God is like during that time. So they said, I remember that day so well. I was completely and totally convicted about what you said. I remember you describing in vivid detail how people come to church, we enjoy the building, we attend the events, we use the childcare, we drink the coffee, and it cannot always be take, take, take. There is a time to give. That stopped me dead in my tracks. You see, in my previous church, we never were really taught about tithing. We dropped money in the basket, but I never really understood the biblical history and the spiritual meaning behind the tithe. I took you up on the challenge, and the Lord has been working on me and our family in this area ever since. Not only have we seen financial reward, but the most important was the heart change the heart transformation, we have loosened the grip, as you described. I remember talking about the fact that when, when we give back to God, it loosens the grip of greed on our hearts, because greed wants us just to keep everything, to hoard everything, or we worry about the future, and, and giving back to God loosens that, that grip on our heart. Since that time, I have read many books and continued to nurture my education in this area. Sometimes it's still challenging, but it feels so amazing to be a cheerful giver. I thought, what a great great example of bearing fruit for God. That is the why of dying to the law. Now, how then do we die to law? Back to verse four. You also have died to the law, how? Through the body of Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, to understand what that means, we have to go back to chapter six. Again, chapter six, verse three. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And let me just pause there because I I said this a few weeks ago when we were on this passage, the baptism here is not less than water baptism, but it's more than water baptism. We are being baptized into the person of Christ. Paul says it this way in Colossians. He says, you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's what he's talking about here. Verse three, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's a sense in which, spiritually speaking, our life is absorbed into the life of Christ. That, That when God looks at us, he sees Christ, because we're hidden in him. Spurgeon has this great quote somebody shared with me here recently. You stand before God as if you were Christ because Christ stood before God as if he were you. Isn't that beautiful? You and I stand before God. When he sees us, he sees us with the purity and the righteousness of Christ as if we were Christ because Christ stood before God as if he were us with all of our stains and all of our sin. He took that on himself. So to not be connected to Christ in that way, to not be absorbed into his life, into his death and his life, to not die to the law, that leads to bearing fruit of a different kind. We see that in verse five. While we were living in the flesh... Our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So instead of good, healthy, beautiful fruit, it's, this is fruit for, for death and it comes from not having died to the law. I wanna just zoom in for a moment on the contrast between fruit for God and fruit for for death. And so I wanna put these two verses up on the screen and just highlight some some comparisons really clearly here. So so we're driving towards the end here of bearing fruit for death in verse five or bearing fruit for God. That's the contrast. So what characterizes a life bearing fruit for death is, in the blue, living in the flesh. The, The contrast to that living in Christ, is having died to the law through the body of Christ. And then our lives are characterized by, in the green, sinful passions aroused by the law at work in our members versus belonging to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. Essentially, this is summarizing something we saw earlier in in Romans, and that is on on the left, being in Adam, and being, uh, on the right, being in Christ, We saw that back in chapter five. Remember we said, if, if you were here, you know, we said we, we're all in one line or the other behind one of these men. We're all in the line, we're born into the line behind Adam. In order to transfer into the line behind Christ, something has to happen, and it's highlighted right there in Romans 7, 4. I'm, I'm trying to do this reverse for, for you guys. Having died to the law, through the body of Christ. That's what makes the transfer from being behind Adam to being behind Christ. So in chapter six, we read that we need to die to sin. We are dead to sin, not dead in sin in Adam anymore, but we are dead to sin in Christ, to be alive in Christ. Now we find in chapter seven that we need to die to the law in order to bear fruit for God. So I want to make some comparisons, some contrasts between chapter six and chapter seven. We got a lot of contrast going on here this morning. So between chapter six and chapter seven, chapter six talks about de- being dead to sin, dying to sin. Chapter seven talks about being dying to the law. Look how similar the language is here. See, it's easy for us, it's easier maybe for us to wrap our heads around the idea that we should die to sin. I mean, we understand that. We shouldn't sin anymore. But it's a little harder to wrap our heads around the idea that we should die to the law. Really, the law was a good thing and God, God gave it. But here's the comparisons. So in chapter six, we are freed from sin. In chapter seven, we are freed from the law. It uses the same language, In chapter six, sin no longer controls us. Chapter seven, the law is no longer binding on us. And then the end result of both is that fruit is produced. There's the the fruit again. It is crystal clear, if we wanna bear fruit for God, we have to die to sin, and we have to die to the law. Not only does the law not help us in our relationship with God, it actually backfires. So we see this in verse five. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law. The the law has this effect on us. I call this the don't walk on the grass syndrome. Okay, the law has this effect. When we get a rule thrown at us, we're like, well, I'll show you. I'm not not gonna bet. We're gonna get into that much more next week. The law actually has this adverse effect on us. And that's why we know that it cannot save us. It's not the path. To God. The law is not the path to pleasing God. Let's finish the paragraph here, verse six. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We're released. From the law, the immediate question that may come to our mind is, "Well, if I'm released from the law, does that mean I can do whatever I want?" We talked about that actually a little bit last week. The answer is no, but the new way of life here, we're going to serve in the new way of the Spirit, which is not about obeying rules. And Paul, here's these are breadcrumbs because Paul is is pointing us forward to Romans eight. We, we will see much more in Romans 8 about what it looks like to serve in the new way of the Spirit. The rest of chapter 7 is actually going to explain what it means to serve not in the old way of the written code. And, and it, some of you have a footnote there on the written code, and actually the Greek word there is uh, the letter. And so it's, it's talking about the law. So the old way of the law, we don't serve in that way in, anymore. Chapter eight, I just have to say this. Um, this is not what we're talking about today, but it's so exciting, I can't help but talk about it. It's, chapter eight is so cool because Paul is going to explain to us a way of living and relating to God that never existed before Jesus, So the Spirit existed before Jesus, and the Spirit came to people before Jesus, but he did not operate in a personal way in the way that we're gonna see in Romans 8. It is an amazing opportunity that we have that never existed before Jesus made it possible. It's so cool. So anyway, we'll see more about that in a few weeks. Now that we know about the how, about the why and the how of dying to the law, let's revisit the marriage analogy that we started with really briefly here. Okay, he says in uh, verse two, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she's free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. All right, I wanna be sensitive with this analogy because I know we, we always have people listening who have lost a spouse and that, that there's a huge grief in that. For the sake of this analogy so that you folks that that applies to, so you don't get lost in this, I'm just gonna say, and I think I'm safe in saying this, but let's just assume that the husband in this analogy is a jerk, okay? Okay so there's not a lot of grief when, when he dies, okay? I mean, it, it kind of fits with the analogy. All right, so while the husband is alive, if she, if she this is like, man, this is, you're not a good guy, I don't, I don't like you, and she, she's drawn to another man who treats her well and, and loves on her, if she, if she leaves that first man and goes to the second man while he is still alive, then she's called an adulteress. That's what he says here. But, but, if the husband dies it severs the relationship. The law that bound them, the law of God that bound them, and the civil law that bound them, it's nullified. It doesn't count anymore, he's, he's gone, he's dead. Now, she can go and be remarried, she can marry this other loving man and enjoy relationship with him. Paul follows that illustration with verse four. Likewise, likewise, in the same way as that analogy, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. So any relationship that we have with trying to follow the law that God gave or really any set of rules that we're trying to measure up to to try to, to earn favor with God, we've died to that so that now we can belong to another. It's like like Christ has freed us, that through death we enter into a relationship, we're freed to enter into a relationship with Christ, and now it's like we get married to him. We, We are bound to him spiritually. The law is not the path to pleasing God. That's the bottom line. You, you and I cannot escape punishment by our performance. And we cannot earn reward with God by our performance. Be- before we are in relationship with him, we'll talk more about how rewards work later. But so what's the alternative? I mean, if we've been trying, 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 working really hard to try to perform and make God happy with us, what's, what's the alternative? Well, it's simply this. Pause your performance. Just, just put it on, on pause. And here's, here's what I'm gonna encourage you to do. Just do an, do an experiment, okay? Talked about the tithe experiment. Here's, here's another experiment for you to do for the next month, maybe even th- three months. Take 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day to do nothing except spend time with the Lord. Not, not even reading your Bible, Okay? Not not even praying. I mean, you can pray, you can talk to God while you're doing that, but, but I'm, I'm talking about, because here's the thing. I, I, I don't know if anybody else has this experience, but for me, reading my Bible, praying for other people, um, journaling, that can become another performance for me every day, sitting down with, with the Lord. And it's just like, okay, God, I gotta get these boxes checked off instead of just relating to him. Instead of realizing, verse um, where was it? Verse four: That I belong to Him. Just, just be, just be with God. Now, don't stop reading your Bible. <laughs> don't stop praying for other people. We we need those things. We need to understand. That's how we understand who God is: is by reading our Bible. But we all we need to carve out time to just stop and pause the performance and just be. And when we do that, that begins then to. Fuel that we carry the rest that we experience in those moments back into our activity then we go back to work whether that's work um, or that's you know serving you know serving your family whatever that is and there's a it, that, that sense of rest then begins to permeate all of our life but it has to start with pausing their performance and and really getting a sense of what it's like to just be before God, realize that he just loves you, he accepts you, because of what? Because of Christ's performance. You're accepted on the basis of Christ's performance, not not yours, and we need to rest and practice resting in that. When we do that, we're, we're gonna experience a freedom that we've probably never experienced before, but that Paul experienced and that he describes in some autobiographical material that he wrote in the book of Philippians, his letter to the Philippians. He said, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. So the Pharisees were the most stringent, you know, they, they knew the law, they practiced the law, they were the, the most hardcore about that. I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. So if the path to God If the path to pleasing God were through the law, Paul would have it made because he was blameless. But here's what he goes on to say. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what we do when we're still And and not performing for him. It's just knowing him. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him. And then here's, here's the message of Romans again not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. God's acceptance of you is not dependent on your performance. It's dependent on the performance of a person that we now get to relate to and come into relationship with. So, so pause your performance. Just try it for the next 30 days, next 90 days. I, I guarantee that you will want to do it more and it'll just become part of your life because it will become the fuel for your life. Psalm 4610, be still and know that he is God, not, be, not, not go serve God. There are other verses about that, but be, there's a call to be still and just know who God is. When, when we start to do that, we will be on our way to serving in the new way of the Spirit. And if you wanna read ahead in Romans 8, I can't stop you, and I, I wouldn't want to. So you can go ahead and start reading about that. But before we can get to that, We have to stop serving in the old way of the law. Let's pray. Father, thank you for freeing us, providing a path to be free from sin and to be free from the law that we could never never achieve, we could never measure up to. And so, Lord, instead of us trying to kid ourselves into thinking we're not doing that badly, may we be honest with ourselves to to say before you, God, we, we in our performance are inconsistent at best and sometimes an absolute train wreck. And that's okay because Christ's performance was perfect and flawless. And we place our faith in him and then we trust you to do a work in us so that we will be made new and be able to serve you in a new way, not not trying to perform for you, but just resting in you. I pray for the person here this morning. I know there's probably a lot of people here this morning who have fallen back into a performance mindset in their relationship with you. I pray that they would press into what we've talked about here today and experience you freshly in, in a sense of rest, And then their service comes from that place of rest. And Lord, for the person here this morning who has never experienced any of this and who is still under the bondage of sin and under the bondage of trying to perform up to some law, maybe it's their own law that they can't even live up to, Lord, I pray that that person, you'd speak to their heart this morning about the freedom that is available in Christ. May they enter into it today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.